and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the, all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So, if we just have a, a quick recap uh, of the, mainly we've been talking about decline as we've been looking at the book of Revelation and the churches. And the first greatest decline was Ephesus, as we know, and it was a massive decline because they lost their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't get any worse than that, can you? And the good news is, is that the faithful church, we can go back to that. We can have First love back, yes, to the Lord. So that was a, a, a big fall. You, know, it, you might think that's not a big deal. It was a big deal to the Lord Jesus Christ that left their first love. He wasn't pleased with that whatsoever. Then we had the persecuted church, which is Smyrna. And Smyrna is the only other church that didn't have anything bad said about it. So along with Philadelphia, Smyrna, the Lord had nothing to judge, right? He was commended because they were persecuted. They were a persecuted church. And then we've got the next one, which is Pergamos, which was a compromising church. And unfortunately, false doctrine was coming in and things like that. So they were compromising the truth in many ways, which again would not please the Lord. And we notice as we go along, most of these churches are called to repent. That's how serious it is, yes? The Lord's asking them to repent. And then we have the corrupt church, which is Thyatira. Many liken that to the Roman Catholicism. So it was really corrupt, and there's a call for repentance in that as well. And then we get the dead church, which was Sardis, which the Lord said, you have a name which you livest, but you, you are dead. Yeah? And it's a nice thing to remember that, isn't it? And I, I remember the, the story I told you, which is worth saying again, about the, the preacher who was fed up with his congregation being dead. So he put a coffin at the front of the room. <laughs> with a, a, it, it was a mirror in it. They didn't know that. And he, he asked them one by one to come up, and he said, we'll see who is responsible and who is dead. So they all used to come up and had a look, 
and they see their own reflection in the mirror. You're the one that's dead. <laughs> Which is quite challenging, isn't it? Uh, and that's the time of the Reformation, really. So the Reformation, it was great in its time, 19th century, you know, it's Philadelphian character, 19th century, isn't it? But, but they didn't go far enough, you know? I mean, if you look now, Roman Catholicism is still way ahead of the Reformation in Germany, in places like that, in Lutheran church and things. It's gone like Roman Catholicism, hasn't it? It's a dead thing that they're doing. So it didn't go far enough. But always we see in these assemblies, there's always a little remnant who are faithful and true to the Lord. And that's nice when we see this remnant character. And Philadelphia character is the remnant, isn't it? We are the remnant. And then we come to this lovely one, the faithful church. It's got a nice expression, isn't it? The faithful church. But it asks us straight away the question, how faithful are we? to the Lord. Proverbs says, isn't it, a faithful man who can find. There's only one faithful man, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ. The faithful and true witness. So if you want to look at a faithful man, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us, uh, we could do with a lesson on faithfulness to the Lord. So he says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right, these things saith he that is holy and he that is true. So we've diverted from chapter one where we see the glory of Christ in chapter one and there's usually some expression of that glory that he's teaching to the churches. Now this is a total exception to that because that doesn't mention the holy and the true. But Jesus says here, and this is the man in the glory that's saying it. These things saith he that is holy and he that is true. That's his character. It's the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his character here on earth. But now as a man in the glory, that is his character in the glory. He is holy. He is true. Now it says, you know, in... Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead the spirit of holiness that means absolute holiness in our Lord Jesus Christ absolute yeah and there was a vindication of his holiness through the resurrection from among the dead absolute holiness none of us can say we have absolute holiness all human beings do not have that so Christ is unique in that and when he was born wasn't it they say that that holy one which is born of thee that holy one shall be called the son of God Wonderful, isn't it? The holiness is seen there on his life on earth. And he's the true one. Now, the true one means he's real and genuine. That's what true means. You're real and you're genuine. And when you read that, it makes you examine yourself again and think, you know, am I real? (laughs) 
am I genuine? You know, some of these churches weren't real, were they? And they weren't genuine. And if you look at Christendom now and all that's out there and some of the things that are going on, it's sad to see that they're departing so much from the truth of God's word and they're going to a nice, easy, cosy life. I went past a church on, on my bike the other day. It was a Baptist church. There was a big banner outside, car boot sale. And I just shook my head as I went past. <laughs> That's not the purpose, is it, of the assembly, to have a car boot sale. <laughs> There's other priorities than that. Uh, but never mind. So he is true. The Bible says he is the true light. Yes. The Bible says he is the true vine. That means he was the fruitful vine. He was the only one that brought fruitfulness to God. Israel did not bring any fruit to God, to his glory. Jesus was the true vine. He was the true bread from heaven. He was the true and faithful witness. Yeah. He's real and he is genuine. And he has the key of David. And he shuts and opens as he feels free. Yeah? So anyone who has the key has the absolute authority and power of God. To do things now. This here is a prophetic statement, and it refers to Isaiah. So I'll just go to Isaiah. And it's Isaiah chapter 22. And I'll just read some of these verses. It can be quite difficult to understand where they're going with this, but I'll give you the gist of what it means. So you had Shebna and Eliakim, these were two men. Sheba, it says in verse 15, and the Lord says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say. So this man basically was second to the king. All right? And he had the keys. Now, anyone's got the key, what does the key do? Opens doors, doesn't it? <laughs> so they have a lot of power. Unfortunately, this man, Shebna, took too much power to himself. It even hewed out a sepulchre to his own glory. Yes, when he died, he, he hewed out a sepulchre. Uh, and the Lord basically says, I am displacing you, Shebna, and I'm putting in a true and a faithful person, which was Eliakim. And that's in verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day I will call my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. And that means God establishes, that's his name. And I will clothe him with my robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit the government into his hand. And he shall be the father of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. So there was God's choice servant put in place of Shebna. So it's a, it refers clearly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the future day, he will put down the false, the Antichrist, and 
he will be exalted in that day. But it's wonderful, isn't it? The man who's got the key opens doors. And to the assembly, the faithful assembly, the Lord is saying to them, look, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. So that's the day to day. Yes, we have an open door. And we have an open door to preach the gospel. We have an open door to still meet together. We have an open door to open the word together, to pray together. That is still allowable in this country at the moment. Yeah? No man can shut it till the Lord says so. Now Paul in his missionary journeys, he talks about open doors, doesn't he? And the Lord actually directed him. He wanted to go into Asia. And said, no, the Lord said, no, forbidden. You're not going there. That's a clear message to Paul. I don't want you to go there to preach the gospel. And you'd say to yourself, well, surely they will need the gospel as well, but not at this time. Yeah, I don't want you to go there. So they said, right, we'll go here and we'll go towards Bithynia. Let's go to Bithynia. And then says the Holy Spirit suffered them not. No, you're not going to Bithynia either. So now it's Paul thinking, well, where should we be going? And then a vision came to him, didn't it? Of the Macedonia. Come over and help us. And he got that vision. That was his open door when he went to Macedonia. And you see the great fruit of Macedonia in the Corinthian assembly. Uh, and many, many saved. He was there what, a year and a half. And lots of people got saved. Gentiles and Jews. So that was his open door. Yeah. So the Lord can open doors, isn't it? If we think we thought about Malawi the other, the other day and that's a wonderful open door, isn't it? That country's open for the preaching of the gospel. And the vision that they've got for the future is absolutely wonderful. It's an open door from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to shut it except the Lord. Yeah? The Lord can open and shut and redirect, whatever. But these are lovely open doors, the open doors in the prison. We've got to take advantage of these open doors which the, which the Lord gives us uh, for his work. So this is wonderful that the Lord has the key and he gives us this promise, I have opened the door. No man's going to shut it for you. That's wonderful, isn't it? Then he says, I know thy works. He knows all about them. Uh, He says, thou hast a little strength. Uh, And when you think about it, we are little, aren't we? We're small in comparison, aren't we? And we have little strength. And if you compare that with Churches which are great. I, I did um, a WhatsApp trial of the biggest churches in the world. And it's worth having a look at because when you see these big churches, they're absolutely ginormous. And there's thousands upon thousands of people in them. You know, And when you think of the local assembly, uh, that each one has its own gift and should be using that gift. And then you see this massive amount of people. You say to yourself, how are they going to do that? <laughs> they're huge. Absolutely huge. And Roman Catholicism is huge. They've got their own city, haven't they? The Vatican. It's big. But the Lord says of the Philadelphian character, you know, you have a little strength. You are small. But he says, you are precious to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you are pleasing to me. That's what he's saying to us, isn't it? Carry on what you're doing. And then he's got these lovely commendations for them. 
Thou hast kept my word. Isn't that lovely? We know he was the word of God that came into the world, the son of God. And we recognize him as the word. But he has kept my word and not denied my name. So many people these days will deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The faithful church does not deny his name. And he also says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. What does that mean? Well, this means that the Lord is patiently waiting. When he was here on earth, he was despised and rejected of men. He was rejected of the Jewish people. He was rejected of the Gentiles. He didn't have his rights down here, yet, yeah? with rights which he was entitled to. They weren't given unto him. But when he went to glory, he's now waiting in the glory till his father says, now's the time. Yes, he's waiting patiently that he will come and claim all his rights when he comes magnificently in Revelation 19 on a white horse, the faithful and true, the king of kings and lord of lords, and he comes to reign upon this earth. That is magnificent, isn't it? And we come with him. All the saints come with him. And that's where we have the rewards. Let no man take thy crown. It's rewards. That, that's when you get your rewards, when the, when the Lord comes. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. And for that, he says, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the, all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, there's lots of... Um, different views out there of pre-millennium, post-millennium, no-millennium, <laughs> a-millennium, you know, and it can get very confusing for people. Uh, I firmly believe that the church we see in chapter 3, when it goes to chapter 4, we don't see it anymore except in the 24 elders which represents the church in glory. Yeah? So we don't hear the church anymore except right at the end when we see the lamb, the bride's wife the new Jerusalem. So the church has been raptured, yes? It's gone to heaven. And it's clearly a promise here that you'll be kept from the hour of temptation that comes upon the whole world, yeah? And it's going to be, if you read Revelation, it's absolutely horrendous what will take place after the church is gone. Because there's no hindrance then, the Holy Spirit has gone as well. And it's been, it'll be led by the beast, the false prophet, and the devil, the trinity of evil. And we're spared all that. I'm convinced of that, 100%. We will not go through the great tribulation. The church will be spared that. And the Lord has promised that in this verse to the faithful. He says, Behold, I come quickly. That's another thing about these last four churches that we got, they go on to the end and all of them have reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're waiting for, aren't we? The coming of the Lord for us and with him later. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast. Let us hold fast to the things that we hold dear. And let us be faithful to the Lord right to the end. 
Behold, I come quickly. Him that overcometh, then we look at the overcomer, and the overcomer is always nice, isn't it? It's those who, have, who are true and loyal and overcome at the end. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Now, it's interesting, pillars, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that slightly confused me for a while with this, it says, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I always think of the overcomers are the ones that are in the heavenly Jerusalem, which we are, aren't we? We're in the heavenly Jerusalem. And then the Bible says, there's no temple in the heavenly Jerusalem. <laughs> there's a question, isn't it? There is no temple. But it clarifies it later on by saying, because God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is the temple of it. And that solves that riddle, doesn't it? Because we are in the heavenly city. Yeah, as pillars. Now, pillars are interesting because pillars usually have inscriptions, don't they? Pillars uh, support things. Uh, and we, we always think about Solomon's pillars that, of, the, of the temple, don't we? Which was Jason, which was he will establish. And it's Boaz, in him is strength. Those are the two pillars outside of the temple. Now, pillars can have inscriptions. They did in Philadelphia. Usually had inscriptions to Dionysus, who was the god of wine, because they had lots of vineyards in Philadelphia. And Dionysus was often inscriptions. And the Romans were great for that, weren't they, with pillars and putting up, you know, great campaigns of generals and Nero and all them sorts of things had pillars made to themselves. Okay. There's one where I live, it's three miles down the road in a in Wynyard Park, and there's a massive obelisk pillar to Wellington. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look very nice, it's not very smart. The, the only thing you see on it is Wellington. They haven't even put Duke of Wellington. They've just put Wellington on it. <laughs> so not a very good pi pi pillar, is it, with inscription? But the pillars are interesting because what the Lord is saying here is, I will write upon him my new name, my name. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which cometh down from my God, now write upon him my new name. So that's like an inscription, isn't it? And the pillar is a memorial. So the Lord's writing upon, as it were, a pillar to the overcomer in that day. So this is wonderful, isn't it? That we have inscription. We have a new name tells us in one of the in Revelation that we will have a new name. Each individually will have a new name which no one knows, but the one who has given it. Yes, we have a new name. The Lord Jesus Christ has a new name. Do we know what that is? No, we don't. <laughs> we'll know in glory, perhaps. Yes. But we don't know at the moment, but he says, I'm going to put my new name upon you. We have a new Jerusalem. Everything's new, isn't it? He says, behold, I make all things new. New heaven, new earth. Everything new. Isn't that wonderful? When we get up there, everything will be new. And all to his glory. 
So it is interesting. Well, let's talk about love as well, because we need to talk about love, don't we? In the, in the context of Philadelphia. Because Philadelphia means brotherly love. It comes from the, the, the king, who was Attilus, and he loved his brother. And everybody knew he loved his brother. So they called it the city of brotherly love. That's where it gets its origin from. It had a massive earthquake in AD 17, uh, which caused uh, absolute destruction of the whole city, really. And there's still some pillars left standing. Yeah. And there's still some gospel preachers who go there and they stand on those pillars and preach the gospel <laughs> in Philadelphia, which is nice, isn't it? But basically, there's very little Christian testimony there anymore. So, what book would you go to if you were talking about love? You would go to 1 John, wouldn't you? Guarantee you'd go to 1 John. 44 references, I counted, 44 references to love in 1 John uh, in various contexts. Yes, God's love, our love to one another, etc., etc. So that's a lot it's got to say about love. Yeah. The imperative of love is what Jesus said, isn't it? That you should love one another I, as, as I have loved you. And that was his commandment, love one another. And he says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So that's a confirmation of assurance to us. If you love your brothers and sisters, then you are the Lord's. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And then we, we go further about the outworking of that love. It says this. Hereby perceive we the love of God, that he, the Lord Jesus, laid down his life for us. Right? That sacrifice of Christ. Then it says this remarkable statement. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now put that in context, yeah, in contrast. I'm sure in the in the days of the church there was lots of persecution going on and I'm sure there have been many, many Christians who laid down their lives for their brothers or tried to protect their brothers and sisters or, you know, put them somewhere else and it cost them their lives. There'd have been lords who lost their life because they loved their brothers and sisters. Self-sacrifice. Can't get any greater than that, can you? It says, Whosoever this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Right? So we're in that situation sometimes now, isn't it? In the hardships, do we see a brother has need and we may have an abundance to meet that need? then surely we should be meeting that need. Yeah? Or oh, as James says, just go away, be warm and clothed. Yeah. <laughs> but how can they be warmed and clothed unless you give them what they actually need? So this is the outworking of love, isn't it? It's love in practice. That's what it is. And then hereby, we, uh, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Not just word and tongue, it's in deed and truth. That's much better, isn't it? And thereby we know we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. 
So brotherly love, Philadelphian character. Let us love one another and care for one another. And the overcomers. And he does mention in, in Philadelphia, the synagogue of Satan again. We've mentioned this a few times now. It's been cropped up in the other churches as well. The synagogue of Satan. In other words, there's no life there whatsoever. It's under the power of Satan. And where Satan's seat is. Uh, and it may be that, that there was a Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia. And it may be they were persecuting these Christians. Uh, and that's why the Lord mentions it. Yeah. So, it's encouraging, isn't it, Philadelphia? <laughs> this is where we all want to be. Uh, so, we can't rest on our laurels, can we? We need to be true <clears throat> and genuine to the Lord, not deny his name, keep his word, love him with all our hearts, and wait for his coming. That's what we're here for. We're waiting for his coming. Let's not forget that. And we, we do, if we're honest, aren't we? We're going about our daily lives and you might go a whole day and you might think, have I thought about the Lord's coming today? And the answer is, no, I haven't. Yes? Because we're so wrapped up in the whole day. Yeah. And some people go to bed at night and they will say, perhaps tomorrow the Lord will come. Or in the night. <laughs> That's last prayer. Yeah. And there's that poster, isn't it? Perhaps today. If he came now, it would be wonderful, isn't it? Because we'd be gone. And that's the last sermon you'll hear. <laughs> you won't need it anymore, would you? Because we're, we're there in reality with the Lord in glory. So next time we speak, unfortunately, we're going back to another big decline, which is Laodicea. And the big problem with that one is the Lord is outside the door. That's not a good place for the Lord to be, is it? He's outside the door. He's knocking to get in. So there may be a little remnant character there as well. Uh, those who may respond to him and open the door. But Laodicea, really, the Lord says, he will spew it out of his mouth. So that's very sad, isn't it? So let's pray. Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word. And we've come to love this truth of the Bible. We've come to love to read it, to study it, and for Claire to speak to us. And we thank thee for all the comfort we get as we read the Bible. And Father, we know that those of us who study the Bible seriously to, in order to give it out, we can also easily neglect that we need to read the Bible to see what the Lord has to speak to each one of us individually. And from a page of scripture, the Lord can speak. And the Lord can speak to us personally in our needs. And we, we thank thee for that also. So may we not just open the word for to learn it as an academic thing, but to listen to what God wants to say to us and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank thee for this word. We thank thee for our gathering this evening. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen. amen.